At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, please be seated and good morning. Man on fire. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of the Reverend Charles Robert Moore. Charles Robert Moore, born in 1934, the subject of a very interesting documentary uh, from 2018, called Man on Fire. Uh, it, is a, um, it is an amazing documentary. You know, not many Methodist ministers, because that's what Robert Charles Moore was. He was a Methodist minister in Texas. And not many such folks uh, have the distinction of being featured in a high-profile documentary film. You see, Moore, was, he was a highly committed activist. He was a highly committed activist on things like racial justice type issues. He spent decades, a whole lifetime really, struggling against racism in all sorts of ways. In addition to teaching and preaching, he would spearhead protests. He engaged in community organizing. He started various kinds of advocacy groups, etc. And yet, after decades of such work, he found himself discouraged and struggling to maintain hope. When he thought about his hometown of Grand Saline, Texas, in East Texas, about 75 miles east of Dallas, when he thought of Grand Saline, it seemed to him like virtually nothing was changing. And certainly the white people in that town of Grand Saline were not, in his words, they were not willing to repent of the sin of racism. And so it is that age set at age 79, Moore took the gravest step of all. Here's how his Wikipedia entry puts it. Quote, on June 23, 2014, Moore drove from his house in the Dallas suburb of Allen, Texas, to Grand Saline, about 75 miles east of Dallas. He parked his car in a shopping center parking lot on the far eastern part of the city. He then, proceeded, <clears throat> he then proceeded to pour gasoline on himself and set himself ablaze. Bystanders retrieved a store fire extinguisher and put out the blaze. He was taken by helicopter to Parkland Hospital in Dallas and died there later that night, close quote. It's an amazing story. It is an amazing story, and I highly recommend his documentary, which tells the story of his self-immolation, the self-immolation of the Reverend 
Charles Moore. And y'all, even though I don't, I do not and cannot recommend that folks follow in Moore's footsteps, I am convinced, I'm utterly convinced that Christ wants us to be people whose lives are on fire. People whose, people whose hearts are aflame with love. People whose hearts are on fire. Men, women, boys and girls who burn brightly with the love of Christ. You know why I say that? I say it because of today's collect. Today's collect, which says this, Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory. You see, the collect today does not say Lord, may we see your light. That would be a fine prayer, right? But the collect does not say, Lord, may we see your light. No, it says, may we be your light. May we become your light. May we be illumined. May we shine, it says. May we be ignited, set on fire with the radiance of Christ's glory. Question for you this morning, question. How can we live like that? How can we live lives that are on fire with love and freedom and power? I'm so glad you asked. I want you to know that our lessons today, all of them, answer this question. And the, and the answer that they give us is this. We can become brightly burning fire through self-sacrifice. Let me repeat that. We can become brightly burning fire through self-sacrifice. You see, the answer is not self-immolation. It is self-oblation. Let me hear you say oblation. oblation. That's kind of a weird word, oblation, right? It's a very old word that means sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Our lessons today, they point to that. First, Psalm 40. See, Psalm 40 is about sacrifice. Look at the psalm with me. Look at verse 7 and 8 of Psalm 40. All right? In sacrifice and offering, you take no pleasure, verse 7. And then in verse 8, burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. What's going on there? What's going on there? Well, for starters, did you know that virtually every religion that the world has ever known requires sacrifice? Did you know that? It's true. I'll never forget the first time I read Homer's Iliad several years ago. Near the beginning of that story, we read about the massive amount of tribute demanded by the god Apollo. We read in book one of the Iliad how the priest Chryses offers one hecatome hecatome after another to Apollo. Side note, guess how many oxen or bulls are in one hecatome? A hundred. A hundred. That's a lot. And at one point in book one, it's amazing, isn't it? At one point in book one of the Iliad, it says this. They offered perfect hecatomes, plural. That's at least 200 cows and oxen, right? They offered perfect hecatomes to Apollo. 
of bulls and goats along the beach of the barren salt sea. The savor of burning swept in circles up to the bright sky. And then a few lines later, I, I actually, this is probably the first time I've ever talked about Homer's Iliad in a sermon, and that it was fun sort of spending some time in that text earlier this week. But a few lines later, still in book one, it says this, quote, and when they had, I want you to listen for sacrifice in this quotation, okay? Quote, when they had made prayer and flung down the sacrificing barley, first they drew back the victims, slaughtered them and skinned them, and cut away the meat from the thighs and wrapped them in fat, making a double fold, and laid shreds of flesh upon them. The old priest, that's Chryses, the old priest burned these on a cleft stick and poured the gleaming wine over while the young men with forks in their hands stood about him. When they had burned the thigh pieces and tasted the vitals, they cut all the remainder into pieces and spitted them <clears throat> and roasted all carefully and took off the pieces. The young man, men filled mixing bowls with pure wine, passing a portion to all when they had offered drink in the goblets. All day long, they propitiated the god with singing, chanting, and a splendid hymn to Apollo, these young Greeks, singing to the one who works from afar, who listens in gladness, close quote. Wow. Do y'all see the point? Sacrifice. Lots of it. Literally tons and tons and tons of it. All throughout Homer, all throughout the ancient Greek world, all throughout virtually every religion in the history of the world. And yet, look at today's psalm. Psalm 40. What does it say? Verse 7. In sacrifice and offering, you take what? No pleasure. No pleasure. And then in verse 8. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Of all the deities in the ancient world, I want you to know, this one stands alone. Yes, there are commands to sacrifice in the Old Testament law. There are commands to sacrifice bulls and goats in the Hebrew Bible, in the law of Moses. That's true. But apparently, those sacrifices are not the be-all and end-all. Are you with me? Apparently, those sacrifices are, are, are provisional at best. Apparently, the God being worshipped in this psalm today, in Psalm 140, the God of Israel, apparently this God actually is not interested in sacrifices, in the sacrifices of bulls and goats. This God does not want that kind of sacrifice. And what is the response that we read about in the psalm. How does the psalmist respond to this God, this God who does not want sacrifices? Behold, he says in verse 8, behold, I come. Hmm. You see, the psalmist, in response to this God who says, I don't want your sacrifices, right? The psalmist says, I come. I'm coming to you, Lord, not because you require that I bring sacrifices of bulls and goats like Apollo required of the priest Chrysis. I am coming to you out of love. I am coming to you out of desire. I love to do your will, the psalmist says in the next verse. I love to do the will of this God who does not need to be appeased. 
This God who, unlike Apollo, is not angry. This God who does not crack the whip. This God who doesn't need his wrath to be appeased. Question, why doesn't he? Hold that thought. For now, back to the psalmist. He's drawn to this God. He's wooed by this God. I love to do your will, he says. Your law is deep in my heart. Friends, what is going on there? Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice, that's what's going on. I love to do your will. In other words, thy will be done. Do you realize that whenever we pray, thy will be done, as the Lord taught us to pray in the Our Father, do you realize that when we pray like that, when we say, not my will, but thy will be done, when you live and pray like that, guess what? You are becoming a living sacrifice. See? Self-sacrifice. Laying your life down for the Lord. Laying your life down for the Lord's beloved, for other people. This God does not need bulls and goats. This God does not need anything. Actually, that's one of the reasons we know that, it, that, he, that, that, that this God is really God, because he doesn't need anything. It's amazing. And so the psalmist says, I come. I give myself to you, not out of obligation, but out of freedom. I approach you out of love. He is motivated, this psal- the psalmist, he's motivated to offer himself, his whole life, to God as a living sacrifice. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. Book of Common Prayer, Holy Eucharist, write one. We see this very same thing, by the way, this, this motif of self-sacrifice. We see it again in the epistle today from 1 Corinthians 1. Paul looks at these Corinthians, and by the way, they were screwed up big time. They were gifted. They were smart. But, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Isaiah lesson that we, that we just heard um, from Stephanie, the Isaiah lesson talks about the coastlands and people who are far off from God. Guess what? No one was ever more far off from God than the Corinthians. They were screwed up. They were gifted, but they were crazy. They were Gentiles. And, listen, and check out what Paul says to them. It's this, it's this uh, motif of self-sacrifice. Verse 1, he says, I've been called by the will of God. There's that word again, will. You should mentally circle that word will. What is going on with this language of the will of God, thy will be done, Paul is saying. Not my will, O Lord, but yours. Do you realize that that's the only way to really be happy is when we, when we get into the flow of what God wants for us? That is the only way to be happy. It's a, it's a lesson that's not easily learned, but that is what is going on here with Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. Not my will, O Lord, but yours be done. And do you see, dear friends, that is a living sacrifice And I want to close like this with John chapter 1. John chapter 1, question, pop quiz, question. Do you see any sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice in John chapter 1? Well, what does John the Baptist say? Behold the 
the lamb. Behold the lamb. Here is the lamb, John says, John the Baptist, here is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, verse 29. Why is Jesus called a lamb? Because he's a sacrifice. Why is Jesus called a lamb? Because he is the sacrifice. Here at the very beginning of John's narrative in chapter 1, something is being foreshadowed, and it's the same thing that is being foreshadowed in Psalm 40. It's the reason that this strange God does not care about your bulls and goats. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. He wants to live inside of you. He wants to dwell intimately with you. This is, not, this is something that Apollo cannot do. This is something that Zeus cannot do. By the way, even if those gods are real, and I'm open to the possibility that they are, maybe not Zeus, eh, it's complicated, but there are lots of gods out there in my view. Those gods cannot do this. They cannot dwell deeply in your heart. They cannot dwell deeply in your innermost parts in intimacy. This God wants you. He wants to live inside of you. This God, the Holy Spirit, she wants to dwell intimately in your deepest parts. St. Augustine said, Lord, God, you are interior intimo meo. You are deeper within me than I am even to myself. He wants to burn like a flame in your heart. This God wants to set your life on fire. This God wants to burn like a flame so that you might be ablaze with the love of God, not by self-immolation, but by self-sacrifice. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.